James chapter 1. We've gone so far as verse 12. We began all the way from verse 1. And Lord willing, we'll be able to get to the end. And this is the way we are able to to know the way. The way that God has for us as his people. So I'm going to I'm going to read the whole chapter for the sake of context. But this morning we are going to consider verse 13 to verse 15. James chapter 1. Hear God's word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like, the wa- is, is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we, may, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart this person's religion is worthless religion that is pure and undefiled before god the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world um let's let's bow and ask god for help as we consider verse 13 to 15 we thank you our heavenly father for such an opportunity as this to be able to sit down under the counsel of your word we do not take it for granted that you have spoken uh, we, we do not believe and trust in dreams and visions and, and, and other kinds of revelation for we know that you have given us special revelation in your word your word is uh, the golden casket where gems of truth are stored and so as we open it up this morning we ask that you would open our eyes that we may see the glimpses of truth that you have for us in it Open our ears that we may hear the wondrous story of the one who died for us. May the Spirit of God use the Word of God to reveal to us the Son of God to the praise and glory of your name. Help me not to give these dear ones my ideas or my philosophies, my stories, but rather to present to them the truth of your word as it is laid down in the scriptures hear us now lord for we pray these things in jesus name amen so we've been we've been considering um the book of james one verse after another and last sunday we were able to consider verse 12 and today we will continue from verse 13 and hopefully by the end of the service we will have gotten to verse 15. I'd like you to think of today's uh, Christian and the temptations that we go through as Christians. I'd like you to ask yourself the question, who is to blame for the you know the, the things that we go through or the sins that we have and the temptations that face us some Christians blame the devil and uh, way too much that everything is because of the devil I did this because the devil uh, made me do it um, others blame their situation and their circumstance i did this because i was faced with this situation this is what happened this was a circumstance and therefore i went ahead to do whatever i did others go as far as to blame god and to say that uh why why have you let why have you let me sin in this way oh god why did you not remove this thing from me before it brought me down it is your fault and, and 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 this is the kind of seed that is in our heart because we are children of adam this is what adam did when god asked him adam where are you and he says eh, i heard you i am naked he gave some skimpy kind of reason and 
he eventually blames God for his sin. God asks him, who told you that you were naked? And he says, the woman that you gave me, uh, you know, gave me the fruit and I took it. And it is your fault because it is you who gave me this woman. If, if you read that passage, you will, you will realize that uh, uh, Adam is not only blaming his wife, he is eventually blaming God because God is the one who gave him the, the wife. And so we live in a day and time where people, even Christians, want to blame someone or something else for what they have done and the sin that they have committed. This morning, I'd like to present to you a sermon by the title, God is Good. And we're going to consider this in, in, in a two-part series. Uh, we'll do part one today and then part two next week, that God is good. In the previous sermon, we were able to see that we are to remain steadfast under trials in verse, verse 12. We were told there that blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Uh, for this is the disposition of the blessed man. This is, this is how true blessedness looks like. Uh, we, we are blessed when we remain steadfast under trials. Um, in verse 2, look at verse 2. We were able to see that these trials are good because they produce steadfastness. And we, we are to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. So James says in verse 2 there, count it all joy, not some joy, not joy in part, but joy wholesomely. All joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And the product of this is that it produces steadfastness. And, and this kind of goes against the world that we live in. People don't, people don't want to, to face trials. They don't want to go through difficulties. In fact, the Christian life today, as, as it were, is a life of children of the king who should not go through any difficulties and problems. But James tells us, unfortunately, we will meet trials of various kinds and we are to count it all joy. Now, in verse 12, there is an obvious connection. Uh, there's an obvious connection there with verses 13 through to 15. So verse 12 is a kind of hinge uh, that connects verse 2 to verse 11 and uh, continues verse 13 to verse 15. Now, in verse 12, there's, there's the word test. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. So the word test there, the Greek word for test, in verse 12 is the same word translated tempt in verse 13 and 14. In the passage before us, James is using this term tempt or test as a link word and therefore making the transition from testing that we've seen in verse 12 to temptation that we're going to see from verse 13 to verse 15. And so the, this is the best way to uh, handle the movement of this text. We are not to draw a solid, a solid line between verse 12 and verse 13. We are to see verse 12 as a link to verse 13 onwards. We are not to draw a solid line as if James is dropping the topic of testing to take up the issue of temptation. He's not talking about two, two different things. There's a sense in which uh, temptations and trials are different, but then there is a, a connection there between trials and temptations. 
um, uh, James' concern, rather, is to help us, to help his readers resist temptation that comes along with trials. And so every trial, in one sense or another, does bring with it temptation. James has already told us that God promises a blessing to those who endure trials. Just uh, have it in the back of your minds um, that those who endure trials are going to be blessed. But also have it in the back of your minds that every trial has uh, a temptation attached to it. Every external difficulty carries with it a temptation, an inner enticement to sin. So whatever difficulty you may be going through, God is able to bring it to us. Um, uh, you, you, you have the perfect example with Job, whom God allows face, to face difficulty upon difficulty. And, and with that trial that God brings, it, it, it brings with it temptation, uh, an, an inner enticement to sin. Because as we're going to see from the passage before us, sin does come from our own desire. Temptation uh, uh, bears fruit, becomes sin, brings death because of our in, innate desire. But then notice that even though God is able to bring a trial, uh, uh, James is telling us that uh, God is not the author of temptation. In the passage before us, he's telling us that even though God brings trials in our lives, God is not the author of sin. He is not the one who uh, brings temptation to us. That's what we see in verse 13 there. And then from verse 14 and 15, we see that enticement to sin comes from our own sinful nature. It comes from, it comes from deep within us, from our own desires and not from God. So I'm going to show you in these verses before us this week and next week, Lord willing, that God is good. God cannot be blamed for anything. He is good. He is perfect in all of his ways. That God is good negatively. So today I'm going to show you that God is good negatively. That is, he's not the author of temptation. He's not the one who uh, uh, makes us sin. He's not the author of temptation or anything evil. And then next week, Lord willing, I will show you that God is good positively. That is, he is the one who gives every good gift and every perfect gift. Uh, all these come from him. And then we will see next week, uh, again, Lord willing, preeminently that God gives the gift of the new birth from verse 18 there. So with this as introduction, I'm hoping to show you three things uh, from verse 13 to verse 15. Um, that number one, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he tempts no one. Verse 13. Then number two, temptation is attributed to your own evil desire. Verse 14. And then number three, the havoc caused by your own evil desire from verse 15. So, let me read for you the passage again. Verse 13 to verse 15. It says, Let no one say... When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death so uh, see with me there uh, from verse 13 that number one God cannot be tempted by evil and he tempts no one it says there that let no one say when he is tempted I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one now the concern the concern of James in verse 13 is to vindicate the good God is to show us that God is good since God is good how can you say that in your temptation it is God who is tempting you how can you say that I am being tempted by God that's what that's James is asking a kind of a rhetorical question to show us that God does not tempt anyone now the Old Testament often makes clear that God brings trials into the lives of his people so God tested Abraham in Genesis 22 when he ordered him to sacrifice his son Isaac then he, God tested Israel by leaving the people surrounded by pagan nations in, in, in the book of Judges then uh, God tests King Hezekiah by leaving him to his own devices in his reception of the Babylonians we see this in uh, second, second Chronicles, Second Kings and when you read the Old Testament really you will see that God does allow his people to go through trials uh, just cited the example of Job it's actually God, God who entices the devil he asked the devil have you seen my servant Job and then the devil gets the idea that ah, Job is just your servant because you've given him one two three four things and, and, and so God does allow his people to go through trials but notice that while, while God may test his servants in order to strengthen their faith he, he never seeks to induce sin as to destroy their faith so as to bring them down in their faith um, therefore despite the fact that the the same Greek word as I've told you in the beginning that is used for the word trial and test uh, and temptation it is crucial to distinguish them since the context clearly tells us if you read the context you clearly see uh, that different senses of this word are intended um, and therefore James tells us here that no one is to say when he's tempted I am being tempted by God God does not tempt anyone he can bring trials which are uh, 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 brought to us geared to strengthen our faith produce steadfastness mature us in the faith but he he does not tempt anyone no one should say that he's being tempted by God we see here that man is prone to deny responsibility you and I that are seated here this afternoon are prone to blame other things and, and, and it's so worse that we are prone to blame God we are prone to say that uh, I am being tempted by God which is what James is forbidding us to do when you're found guilty the tendency is to blame it on others even God himself and we've, we've, we've seen that uh, people blame the devil for everything you should note particularly in this passage James doesn't even mention the devil and, and I'm going to I'm going to show you that um, you are responsible for your sins. You're responsible for your actions. You're responsible for everything that you do. Every sin you have committed, you are responsible for it. 
James then goes ahead to give us the reason why this is the case. And he says, For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And so see there that temptation is an impulse to sin. You see, uh, uh, when we say we are being tempted, we are being poked to do that which is, which is wrong. Temptation is coming upon us. And so then temptation is an impulse to sin. And so the meaning here is that God is not susceptible to such desires. Uh, God, uh, God is pure. He is not susceptible to any such desire for evil. In his divine nature, God is of a pure essence. Now, when we say that God is good, my dear friends, you see, this is something that is usually said in churches today without uh, really thinking of what we are saying. When we say that God is good, we are saying that God is completely pure. He does no evil thing. Now, James tells us here that in the divine nature of God, he is of a pure essence so that then there is nothing in his whole nature to which temptation can appeal. Allow me to speak like this uh, so that you may get the point. There is nothing in God that temptation can appeal to because he is of a pure essence. God is good all the time. Bible says that God is faithful for he cannot deny himself. He is of a pure essence. And so then the Bible describes him as one who cannot even behold sin. He has indignation for sin every day if you read the Psalms. And so there is nothing in his whole nature to which temptation can appeal. And so James tells us there that God cannot be tempted with evil. A Puritan by the name Thomas Manton says, God is so immutably good and holy that he is above the power of a temptation. Men, are, uh, uh, men soon rap and vary, but he cannot be tempted. Now, I'm going to seek to show you next week, from verse 17, that God does not change. God is immutably good. He is unchangeably good. He does not vary due to shadow of change. Now, you see the way you're seated there, and the way I'm standing here, we are mutable. At some point, you will stand and you will go. God is immutable. He doesn't change. And, and therefore, God, as we've considered the attributes of God in the past, we were able to see that God is the only one that is able to say, I am that I am, without needing a qualifier, because he is immutable. God does not sit and then at some point stand. The Bible says that he never sleeps and he does not slumber. God is in a constant state. And that's why God is able to love in, in, in a constant way. Now James tells us here, that God cannot be tempted with evil. And this is because God is good. Um, uh, this is because there is nothing in his nature that, that can appeal to temptation. At least a God that we're tempted. That, that can't happen. James therefore says that God cannot be tempted with evil. Hence, he cannot be seen as desiring evil to be brought about in people, in other people, in man. Isn't that what he says there? For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Therefore, because God cannot be tempted with evil, because there is nothing in his nature that can appeal to temptation, God then 
does not tempt others. He himself tempts no one. Now, I'd like you to see that the very fact that God is good means that God cannot be tempted with evil. And the very fact that he himself tempts no one kind of displays his goodness. So, because he is good, he cannot be tempted with evil. And he does not tempt anyone as a display of his goodness. And so, I'd like you to see there, first of all, that God cannot be tempted by evil and he tempts no one. No one, therefore, should say, I am being tempted by God. Now, that's to exclude the whole idea that temptations and, you know, uh, 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 the, the, the sins that befall us are brought to us by the devil or our circumstances or whatever else that we may want to blame. We are told there that it is not God. It is not God. Number two, I'd like you to see from verse 14 that temptation is attributed to your own evil desire. Temptation is attributed to your own evil desire. Look with me there in verse 14. James says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Some translations have his own evil desire. Now in this verse, James now attributes temptation to each person's evil desire. James says, Cheki, it's not God. He's already cleared that out. And because of what he's going to tell us in that passage, it's not anything else. It's not the devil. It's not your circumstances. It's your own evil desire. Even though the word desire may have a couple of meanings in the New Testament, the context here makes it clear that James uses it to mean the fleshly, illicit kind of desire to do that which is evil against God. James is here placing the responsibility for temptation and sin forthrightly on the shoulders of the human, the sinner. He is placing it on the shoulders of every human being. It is on you, James is saying. It is because of your own evil desire. And, and, and you see when he says each person there, it's not, it's not, it's not, he's not, of course addressing Christians, but it's for, it's for everyone. Everyone is tempted by an innate kind of, uh, kind of desire that comes from the sin nature in us. Now, just before I continue, um, I'd like, like to say that the people that think or claim that Christians are sinless are mistaken. We still have a sin nature. And James indirectly says that there are desires that rise up in, in, in each person. And these desires are the ones that... Um, uh, temptation appeals to. So, so James is, is not even accusing the devil as a source of temptation. And even though he will refer to the devil in chapter 4 verse 17, J James, James is, is completely saying that um, uh, you are responsible. His, his, his aim is to highlight individual responsibility for sin. Now this has dire implications on you. When you sin, when you fall into sin, 
you are responsible for it. And, and, and the best thing for you to do is to accept that you're responsible and uh, like David in Psalm 51, go to God and say, against you and you only have I sinned. And then ask God for forgiveness. We have, of course, been considering in our Friday fellowships uh, the chapter of repentance unto, unto salvation. And the Christian sees their sin. The Christian doesn't want to blame anyone else for their sin. Sure, the devil might give, give you an idea. Sure, the world around you might entice you. But ultimately, you bear the responsibility. You're the one out of your evil desires who, who, who accepts what is brought to you and then fall into sin. James is here highlighting individual responsibility for sin. So even the suggestions of the devil are not, are not dangerous unless we yield to them. You see, people might tempt you, the devil might tempt you, whatever it is, circumstances might tempt you, but they're not dangerous unless we yield to them. Unless we, we submit, as it were, to them. So then we are fully responsible for the enticement by our own evil desire. That's what James says there. So he tells us that each person is tempted, dot, 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 by his own desires. Um, he is here saying that you are responsible for your actions. It is your desires that cause the temptation. Not God, not the devil. It is you. You're responsible. Notice the contrast between God and man there. I mean, it's, it's not there, but I'd like to show, show it to you. That God is good. He cannot be tempted with evil man on the other hand is not good um, uh, we have the capacity to be tempted we have desires that temptation can appeal to and so even though God on the one hand is good and temptation cannot appeal to him you are not good now when J uh, sorry that when the Apostle Paul says no one is good he knows what he's saying you are not good you have a sin nature for which temptation can appeal to. And you have the capacity to yield and submit to temptation. And so man is not good. You know, we are lured and enticed by our own desire. J James uses metaphorical language uh, to convey the mode of operation of evil desire. He says that each person, check here, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. When he's drawn away, carried away and enticed. Temptation arises when a person is dragged away and enticed by his own evil desire. The metaphor here comes from fishing. And, and unfortunately we are not in Luoland. The fish in Meru are, are uh, gotten from a fish pond. And so there's a sense in which fishing is foreign from, from us. Unless you come from a place where you do fishing a lot. But, but then uh, uh, the, the metaphor that James uses is one of fishing where you, you have a bait and the fish, you lure the fish and then you, you entice it. it. It doesn't know there's a hook inside the meat or whatever it is. And then when it, it bites the, the bait, you're able to catch it. That's, that's the metaphor being used here. 
It's a metaphor for drawing prey away from shelter in order to trap them with a deadly hook. He, uh, he's, he's, he's talking of, our, of, our, um, of, of, of our own evil desires as luring us, enticing us. It is the person's evil desire that ensnares them. Your own evil desires are the ones that, that uh, you know, bring the bait and, and lure you and, and entice you. And, and, and so then the temptation here is attributed to your own evil desires and not to the good God who does not tempt anyone. And so you are responsible. Your desires um, are the ones to which the temptation appeals. And so temptation is attributed to your own evil desire there in verse 14. But then see from verse 15 there, what, what is brought about by this evil desire? The havoc caused by your own evil desire. Verse 15. Look with me there. James says, Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Now James changes the metaphor and uses one that describes the havoc that desire can cause. James pictures desire as conceiving and giving birth, you know, uh, to sin. And, and, and sin, when it is fully grown, he says there, brings forth death. He changes the metaphor. So he has already told us that temptation involves one's own evil desire toward evil as it is enticed by the superficial attractiveness of sin. Um, if you welcome uh, rather than resist that temptation, desire, James is telling us, will conceive. And, and, and what he means here is you will get a delight that arises from your carnal thoughts. You see, when, when, you're, when you're tempted, when uh, you yield to that evil desire, that superficial attractiveness to sin, you see, desire just promises you satisfaction and fulfillment in that sin uh, and it kind of sugarcoats evil and, and, and you're attracted to it. You're baited to, to, to yield to your desires. But then uh, the conception that James is talking about here is, is that you will get a delight that arises from carnal thoughts and if not turned away from if you don't turn away immediately it will produce sin um, James implies that um, temptation in and of itself is not sinful you can be tempted and not fall into sin and you see here I mean the way the Greek word for test and, uh, test and trial and temptation is used does show, it, 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 it can be seen that it is one and the same word, but used in different senses. So in, in one sense, you, you meet trials of various kinds, and you're to, you, you're, you're to count it all joy, and it will produce steadfastness, and you will be blessed when you, you, know, when you remain steadfast under trial. You will receive the crown of life, as we were told last Sunday. On the other hand, you can yield to it. It can be a temptation that comes to you. You yield to it. 
and it brings you down and so then being tempted is not in and of itself sin you can be tempted all uh, all the time you know only when desire has conceived only when that temptation is uh, yielded to by your own desires and then it conceives does sin come into being that's what james tells us there he says then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin um and so james says there that it 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 kind of brings forth bears uh bears out uh, that that thing that we call sin that lawlessness uh disobedience to the law of god so temptation is not um sinful in and of itself now it is important to understand that when you're tempted you 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 do not automatically sin because you're tempted the temptation is not sinful and this is important because um there are some christians who are extremely sensitive um and they may feel that because they continue to experience temptation they may be out of fellowship with the lord uh, temptation my my dear friends brothers and sisters is part and parcel of the christian life um it is true that the more one matures the more they are loose from the power of temptation but notice you're loose from the power of temptation and not from temptation itself temptation will always be part of our experience through uh, throughout our time uh, um on earth you know and and Jesus experienced this this was his experience if you go to hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 you you'll see this so then uh, there's a name by the uh, there's a person by the name Douglas Moo who says christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation but by the infrequency of succumbing to temptation and so temptation may come upon you whenever and wherever however many times but true christian maturity is not that you don't you're not tempted maturity is that you do not succumb to temptation when it comes and that's what we are told that when we face trials of various kinds we are to count it all joy we are to remain steadfast under trial and this way then you're mature christians now James uses uh the word fully grown there in verse 15 he says then desire when it is when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death the uh fully grown there is something that I would like you to pay close attention attention to because this is not a thing that should be found in the christian in the in the christian life as a christian sin should never uh first of all it should not be you know it should not be, it should not give your your temp, the t- temptation should not uh be yielded to by your desires so that it brings forth sin but even more because christians have the capacity to sin sin shouldn't g- fully grow and a man by the name thomas manton again says um uh that uh, fully grown there is a reference to the sin that is accomplished by frequent acts strengthened and settled into a habit 
and that shouldn't be characteristic of the Christian life you are not to have sin which you is constantly done frequent in your life uh, 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 frequently strengthened and settled into as a habit because Christians have a new master their master is the Lord Jesus Christ sin is sin no longer has dominion over you and so you feel this war waging inside of you as a Christian but sin should never fully grow as it were uh, the death here uh, 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 again as uh, uh, Thomas Manton says that it is but a modest word for damnation because you see when sin fully grows it um, brings forth death now death there is is damnation eternal condemnation now realize that the wages of sin is death now when sin fully grows when sin is a settled habit when sin is uh, accomplished time and time again and it is frequently committed and strengthened and dwells in the heart of the sinner James tells us here that sin grows fully now sin is conceived out of our evil desire we yield to temptation there is a sin committed and then this sin has the capacity to grow fully and to bring forth death now as Christians we rejoice that justification is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone we rejoice that no one can snatch us from the hand of Christ yet notice that the, 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 there's a possibility for one to profess faith and be a false Christian because they habitually continually live in sin it is a settled habit that they live in and we are told there that because of this then when it is fully grown it brings forth death this ought to be a warning to you and and it it it, it, it wouldn't be the first time where, where where god is warning his people not to sin this this ought to wake us up uh, as a church we 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 do not want to be christians yet we are yielding to our own desires committing sin and even more than that living in it having it f fully grow now sin is very subtle and one can be living in sin uh, and thinking ah, I will repent it will it, it will come to an end and, and this is the disposition of the unbeliever the unbeliever thinks I'll come to faith as if as if it's dependent on them to believe and because of that deception of sin because sin rests so much in their heart and it uh, continues to grow you see uses the metaphor of being being bathed and continuing to grow until you know fruition whatever it brings which is death sin is able to rest upon the sinner's heart so much so that they don't want they don't want to leave it they don't want to uh, 
to stop. They can't imagine living without it. And James is saying here that when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. Now this, because he is addressing Christians, is a warning to us that our secret sins that we hold so dear and we do not want to let go, we are to quickly let go of them. Because when sin is fully grown, my dear friends, it brings forth death. Now, let me make a few applicatory points for you as I, as I conclude. Number one, beware of your own frame and corruption. Beware of your corruptions. That you are uh, able to blame others for your temptations. And eventually, uh, sin. Be, beware that you, you are a sinner and that you have the capacity to blame others when you sin. Now, God will, God will not excuse your sins. This is why the Christian is constantly clinging to Christ, constantly depending upon Christ. Because even if we blame others, that will not absolve us of the responsibility we are not going to stop being responsible for our sins and so because of that then you are to beware, you are to be alert you are to be awake number two see the temptation as an opportunity to have more communion with God now when you face trials when temptation befalls you because temptation in and of itself is not sin See it as an opportunity to commune with God. An opportunity to, instead of yielding to your, your desires, run to God. Instead of continuing in that sin which you're being tempted to, go to God. Because the more you look like God, the more you're able to stand against temptation. Realize that the Christian life is one of progressive sanctification. The more you look like Christ, the more temptation uh, is loosed of its power over you. And so when you're being tempted, you're not, to be, you're not to be like this person here who yields, uh, who is lured and enticed by his own desire, and then, you know, it gives birth to sin, then it, 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 when it is fully grown, brings death. And so you, you, you strive as a Christian to look more like God, look more like Christ. See the opportunity uh, when temptation comes upon you, see it as an opportunity to draw nearer and nearer to God. Number three, do not trust yourself or your desires, for you see what they, they do with the temptation. Your desires yield to the temptation. Your desires submit to the temptation. And so you, you, you shouldn't trust yourself. Uh, your desires encroach slowly by slowly and eventually will destroy you. Rather, trust in God who is good, for He cannot and will not tempt you. Trust in the good God who can enable you overcome temptation. 
Number four, see the end of your evil desires. See how your evil desires make you sin. They bring you to that point where you sin. And then, eventually, they bring death. And so then do not entertain evil desires. Do not, do not entertain sin in your life. If there is a sin that uh, is besetting, is, is constantly following you, seek with all your power to kill it. John Owen, one of the greatest Puritans, says that you should be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Sin is, is out to finish you. We know that the wages of sin is death. Sin has the capacity to, uh, the, the capacity of growing fully and eventually producing death. And therefore, you, you, you're, not to, you're not to play around with it. You're not to joke, joke around with it. You're to kill it as soon as you are able to. Number five, do not delight in hypocrisy. Um, sin will eventually find you out. That's what James is telling us here. There are those sins that we think, ah, this one, no one knows. No one will find me. But make no mistake, sin will eventually find you out. And unfortunately, when it is fully grown, even, even though we might not see it, we might not find it, find it, God will find it. God will know it. So, so, so strive not to be a hypocrite. Strive to live a holy life. Strive to kill sin. Confess your sins. James is going to tell us later on that we are to confess our sin one to another so that we are healed, so that we are sanctified. And lastly, see that all sin should be repented of and forsaken before it overtakes you and, 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 and brings this terrible end. Repent of your sins. I mean, the end of knowing all these things about sin that God cannot tempt, you're tempted out of your own desires, when it conceives, it gives birth to sin and, and later on death. The end of knowing all that is so that you realize that sin is dangerous. You repent of your sin. Now, repenting is not only confessing it, but actually turning away, the Greek word there is metanoia, turning away from your sin. If sin is on this side, you turn away, uh, uh, an about turn. You turn to Christ. You go to Him. You look to Him, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And it's such an amazing thing that God reveals these things to us. Now, the 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 reason I've entitled this sermon that 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 God is good is because first of all, we are going to see how His goodness displays itself next week, and uh, uh, today we've seen how it is negatively that He doesn't tempt He doesn't tempt anyone. But then, I've titled it God is Good because imagine God has enabled you to sit down in such a sermon to hear of what sin can do to you so that you may turn from it.
to the good God. How good a God we serve. How, how good is God to us, to you and I, that you're seated there hearing that there is healing for your sin. You, 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 you hearing that sin is dangerous, it will kill you, run away from it. James is going to tell us next week that we are not to be deceived. And the deception there is, uh, in light of what we've just heard about sin, let's not be deceived. But then also that God is good. He is immutably good. He gives good gifts. He gives perfect gifts to his people. These words then, may your faith be strengthened. May you be enabled to kill sin in your life. I know this might not be common in today's churches to hear about sin and be bogged down about sin over and over and over again. Be called to repentance every Sunday. But this, my dear friends, is what God's word has for us. So, let's think about these things, meditate upon them. May God bless bless us. Let's, let's pray. bow before you our heavenly father for you are our king you are our god you are our father we thank you that we are able to hear your word and especially this 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 afternoon of the effects of sin of the responsibility that we bear and of the goodness of God. We thank you that we can come to you and we do not have to get this awful end, which is death because of our sins. Thank you that you are good. You allow us to hear this. You are good. You do not tempt us. You are good that you are willing and able to forgive sins, to save sinners. And we pray, Lord, that our eyes will be fixated upon Christ. Christ who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, so that we might be loosed from the pangs of death. Help us to see that our evil desires can bring sin and sin can bring death and help us not to yield to them. Grant, O Lord, that um, you would be glorified by the way that we lead our lives. That you would be glorified by having us shun from sin run away from it kill it put put putting to death the deeds of the flesh and having us run to the good god help us as we continue to worship you this day may you be glorified in all things 
for we pray all these things in Jesus' name.